Um, I took notes in a physical book this time. A moleskin. Of course you did. <laughs> okay. No, this is new for me, though. Okay. And, uh, you know, there was pros and cons pros and cons uh right now i definitely feel like it's a con i would much rather have my notes on the screen (laughs) okay (laughs) but uh you know what chris that's that's what happened and that's what i'm dealing with right now yeah i'm just gonna shoot from the hip because that's how i roll so do it do it chris um by the way moleskins these are new to me are you familiar with moleskins i am yeah okay this is my first um I am trying them out, and I like them so far. I'm actually using uh, moleskins for doodling, and also <laughs> for for writing, and oh, oh, and also for uh, drawing plans in the workshop. Actually, so oh, nice. They yeah, definitely got, make you want to like hold a mole because you're like, I wonder if it really feels like this. It's so pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Anyway, Chris, um, we're gonna get right into it this time. All right. Tell the audience what we're going to talk about today. So we're talking about a classic, um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Not the movie, the book. Although, um, I don't know if your copy had the forward um, by Arthur C. Clarke, but mine did. And he gives really interesting insight that I did not realize about the book's relation to the movie. And so... Um, I, you know what? I, I don't think... Mine has mine has a foreword, um, mm-hmm. although it's very short. It's one page, half That's a page. definitely not the one I had. Mine was long. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I believe I've read that because I, this is my um, actually my third copy of the book. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, this this book, uh, which goes with that collection which you saw, um, it, it matches the Left Hand of Darkness. Um, yeah, it's it's got a bigger f- uh maybe it's not called a f- it's called a series introduction which is not written mm-hmm. by Arthur C. Clarke and actually it's the same in each one of these books in this Penguin Galaxy series. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I read it for Left Hand of Darkness and then I didn't have to read it again for this one. And anyway, then like I say there's a very short forward written by it's signed ACC. Um but uh but yeah, no no, no. regarding the movie Look, I didn't watch it yet. I, I will. I plan on watching it basically okay. this week. Uh, and, and I have watched it before. I just always like to kind of like watch it after I read the book. You know what I mean? But I mm-hmm. haven't done that yet. So yeah, I'm sure the movie will come up. And it's fine. We can talk about the movie in the context of the book if we want. You know what I mean? But like mm-hmm. you said, this podcast is about the book. Yep. And by the way, just as a brief aside, so our, uh, the, your listeners don't know this, but like right now we can see each other even though we are on opposite ends of the earth or the nation. I don't know. Somewhere we're in opposite poles. This and is so true. I just want you to know that as I'm looking into your room, which is like a glimpse into someone's mind, I have major globe envy that you have that nice globe in the background because... <laughs> I'm a big fan of globes, and I have a list of I have an I have an Amazon list of potential globes to buy, um, but nice globes are not cheap. You can't buy this one online. You got to find this one in a Goodwill, <laughs> which is exactly where I found it. <laughs> oh, I would thought it was like an Indiana Jones type discovery of some kind. But no, I like is, it. I it, like a nice globe. It is. It's like it's not the typical blue 
globe, you know? It's like this old-looking brownish one, which, yeah, I thought looked mm-hmm. really cool. Uh, okay, Chris, I want to know what you rated this book. Wow, we're going right to the ratings. I do. I want to go right at the beginning. I want to go rating. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've thought about that yet, but I'll just review again. It's uh, one to five. One is I didn't like it. Two is I liked it. Three is it was okay. Four is I loved it. Five is it was amazing. So um, I have thought about it. And, you know, I love a, I love a classic story. It doesn't matter the genre. If mm-hmm. it's a classic, I kind of feel like it's one of my missions to read it at some point in time. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a it's this book is kind of a strange classic in that it's more classic because of the movie, which is kind of a classic in science fiction than it is for the book itself. Um, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. More people have seen the movie, for sure. Correct. It, it probably well, made the more lasting impression, probably, on, on humanity. Yes. Well, I've got a, I've got a massive uh, bit of gossip tidbit drop to, to throw out later when we start talking about the content of the book, which is why okay. I keep asking you about this forward. But I'm going to save that for later. For now, <laughs> okay. I will tell you... Um, I think that I think that four is where I would go because I really did enjoy the way it was written. I liked that. I mean, I'll be completely frank. I'll say this about when I saw the movie, and most people have this reaction. They're like, "What the heck happened here?" At certain points, yeah, yeah. the movie, yeah, yeah for and, sure, yeah. So, but if you read the book, you understand what the heck all that symbolism was, and so you're like, "Oh, it makes sense." Ex- now. Yes, and so, and I appreciated that he put it together that way. Yeah, yeah. The ending is not nearly as jarring to the book reader than to the movie watcher without having read the other one, you know what I mean, or watched Absolutely. the other one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even the beginning makes you understand it better in the book. It's like the yep. middle you understand fine whether you've seen the movie or read the book. But the beginning and the end, you need the book to understand what the heck is going on on both books. The monolith is a total like enigma. You kind of get what's going on in the movie, you know what I mean? But um, it's yeah. totally explained in the book. Um, yep. Even, even I mean, we can kind of just jump right into the first chapter. I, I do want to go chronologically. And by the way, I don't think we should worry about spoilers one iota. Agreed. Let's just go in order. Let's go in order. And if someone doesn't like spoilers, they can stop halfway through. Agreed. If Sounds you've good. not seen, if you're not familiar with the story by now, you weren't going to be familiar, and we're doing you a favor. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, but I was going to mention in in the book, uh, you the, the the reader is told that uh, a, a a star or you know a light passes the sky twice um, in in the Earth sky, and then the monolith appears. So it's like you know where this thing comes from, essentially. Uh, in the in the book, it just and the movie, it just appears, right? Yep. I don't yep. think there's any mention of, uh, you know, UFOs. No, or it just it opens. <laughs> you know, in the in the book in the movie, it just maybe there was a comet that I missed, but in the movie, it just opens up with eight men, um, yep. and then suddenly there's a monolith, which, by the way, is a different color in the book than it is in the movie. Yeah, it's transparent in the book. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. I thought that was interesting, and it was like had these mesmerizing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, graphics or something going on in it. Oh, by the yeah. way, uh, my rating—you gave it a four. Yes. Um, you know, it's too bad that <laughs> I picked two 
freaking awesome books to read because everyone's just going to think that I throw around fives. I, look, I thought it was a five. Now, here's the thing, Chris. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you something which the listeners won't be able to see, but you'll understand it. You'll, 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 it'll be explained to you at, throughout the, this podcast. In this little moleskin, I have drawn a graph of oh. <laughs> how much I liked the book over time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you saw some dips in there, right? I did. Um, I didn't think every single you know word of this book was perfect, and I didn't love it every single moment. But by the end of the book, I am left with such an impression and such a sense of wow that it makes me think about it for you know many weeks after I finish the book and just forever. I've never stopped thinking about it. Uh, that I can't not give it a five. If a book leaves that kind of impression on me, it doesn't matter if it wasn't you know five from beginning to end. It gets a five in my book. Agreed. I think that's a very fair assessment. Um, you're aware that this that the Odyssey that this is part of the Odyssey trilogy, which is four books long. Correct. Oh, I've I've read all four books. Have you? So you just this, I is have. The only, oh, this is the only one you hadn't read, or have you read this no, one no, before? No, no, no. I've read all these this? books. I've read this book three times, Chris. Oh, well, I, I knew you owned it three times, but this is the thing: I own a lot of books. <laughs> actually, actually, I've only read two of the books that I have, but I have read one twice. So, <laughs> um, yes, no, no, no. This is. Uh, oh, actually, no. You know what? The first time I I consumed it, it was audiobook, and then I read my first book. Then I bought another book that I just haven't cracked. I just liked the book, and then I bought this third one. So, <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I've read it. <laughs> gotcha. Well, and it's funny because it's a trilogy, but then it's four books long. <laughs> so, oh, do they call it a trilogy? The author did. He said no trilogy should be longer than four books, <laughs> which I found funny. He's a did fun did he write that? Did he write that after the fourth one was written? Yeah, the four. It was like an anniversary edition. He came back and wrote the foreword talking about the experience. That's why it's so <laughs> okay. long. Okay. Do you have the book in front of you, or did you listen to it? I listened to it, so I got it. I got it on Audible, so I got to hear it. Okay. It's actually him reading the foreword, I believe, and so he actually oh, reads the foreword. Oh, I. Oh no, no, no! I was going to say I've never heard his voice, but I do think I remember seeing. A, I, I looked him up on YouTube once. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always got to ask, how was the narration? The narration was really good. He did not narrate the book. Okay. Um, but he did a good job. He did. He did the foreword, which was really interesting, and the narration overall was really good. I enjoyed it. The narrator actually adjusted his voice for gender for different characters. Cool. And he was good. And at did it. a really good job. Yeah, that's. I love that. Uh, the the my favorite narrator that I, I ever listened to was um, for uh, Game of Thrones. Um, and it's funny because they they got a different narrator for the fourth book and it was terrible. I hated it. It was horrible. <laughs> and it turns out actually the fourth book is actually the worst one of the lot. But, um, but mm. you know, he, he, he changes his voice and uh, he's just an awesome British, you know, yeah. voice, whoever he is. Well, what's really neat about this audiobook, he does like there are times when they're speaking through the radio, as you know, in the book or yeah, and to, using all that radio voice, lingo. <laughs> Well, and his voice sounds like it. And I'm like, I don't know okay. how he did that. But all of a sudden, he's like, well, doctor, we got this thing going on. And I'm just like, this is amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. Uh, okay, Chris, uh, part one. So this book is divided up into six parts. Part one is all about Ape Man, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, Moon Watcher. That's the guy. Did you know? There's no way you would have known this, but I'm going to tell you right now. My first word, so as told by my dear mother, was moon. So, first of all, there's absolutely a possibility I could have known this. I've known you long enough and, like, had conversations with you, but I did not know that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, how about that, man? It's like I'm, I'm, I'm moon watcher. <laughs> you were destined for this book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, Chris, I freaking loved the first part, part one, book one, whatever you want to call it. It was really interesting, I thought. Oh, I could not believe how good, uh, you know, a generally sci-fi author could write about, like, could describe, like, more of like a biological scene, you know? Mm -hmm. It was more about uh, the environment and this species struggling, and he described the plight of these dumb apes so well, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? How they just couldn't fathom uh, the fact that they were surrounded by meat. You know what I mean? And they never really had to starve. They just could. It, it just they couldn't fathom it. And he described like their um, just how difficult life was so well. I thought. I agree, and I, I really liked how he touched on this. You know, what really separates humans from animals is their self-awareness. Like, we understand and know we have thoughts and all these other things. Like, mm-hmm. small things. For example, I watch my dog, and I think I wonder sometimes, I wonder what she thinks about this or that. But the reality is, most times, she doesn't really think much about anything unless it's, like, right in front of her, right? Yeah. There are yep. things she remembers, but for the most part, she just kind of lives her life in the like only in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um which is why, if there's a disagreement between she and I, I know that disagreement will go on forever because <laughs> she never learns the lesson of like this same result will happen every time. <laughs> so yeah. every night, for example, when she goes to bed, like we put her in her little crate so she doesn't go nuts at night. And mm-hmm. every night, I hear her attacking the crate. She's been in the thing over a year, can never get it open. <laughs> does not stop her every night (laughs) from being like this is the night where i break this thing down (laughs) yeah 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 but that i mean that's kind of how they were though right that's kind of how moon watcher and his people were in that every day they go through the same kind of sequence of stuff and in the moment they're like oh this is terrible but once it's gone they're not thinking how do i avoid that later they just kind of move on with life yeah yeah um it really made me think about the things that i can't fathom you know what I mean? Okay, so I gotta say, when we can come back to, you know, part one if you want, but I I, I really loved it. And in contrast, um, I didn't so much enjoy the next chapter, hmm. um, or the next the next uh, part, I should say. Yeah. Well, and I, and, and that was called I believe the parts T it's called TMA one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they first got exposed to TMA one. Yeah, I yeah. found I found it interesting in part one something that we're kind of walking away from that we haven't even really addressed is how the, the aliens who created the monolith began interacting with these ape men and changing them. Um, okay. you know, cause they look at this thing and then suddenly they find themselves taking action that they're not quite, not their actions, but not mm-hmm. their actions. And it's clearly them trying to teach them something and imprint something upon them. And that's what changes their trajectory. And suddenly that's how they become, what they become. And then we fast forward, you know, umpteen million years to get to, and they become us. Yeah. So exactly. So, right. So exactly. 
yeah, so so the TMA one part, uh, it, it basically describes uh, what's his name Hay Hayward Hay- or Hay. I think it is Haywood. Hey, son, yeah. Haywood or Haywood? Hey, oh, I think it might be Haywood. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, describes him leaving Earth, going to Space Station One, I think it's called, and then leaving Space Station mm-hmm. One and then going to the moon, right? Um, and there's a name for the base and the moon. I think it's named after the crater or something. Um, and, Tycho. And, oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, Tycho. Um, and. Well, n- well, no, 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 no. The the base is not in Tycho, isn't it? The Tycho anomaly is they travel, right? Oh, they travel you're by right. car. <laughs> and I want to say so. I want to say something. The reason why I didn't like um, the reason why there's some dips in my enjoyment level <laughs> in that graph I showed you, okay, mm-hmm. is mainly because I-, I was actually worried going back and reading this book when it started doing this because I didn't want to lose. I didn't want to think differently of this book that I love so much reading it again. You know, sometimes you can read a book again and it just didn't hit you the same as it did the last time, you know? Yep. Uh, so I was a little little worried about that because he does something that I absolutely hate that authors do. I might have brought this up last time because Ursula K. Le Guin does a, an amazing job at not doing this. But basically, I don't like it when authors do too much explaining, right? Mm. You did mention this. I like to learn about the universe and about, you know, objects in the universe um, through the narrative, mm-hmm. right? I don't want, I, you know, if if someone has to go to the bathroom in space, I'd rather them just go to the bathroom. <laughs> sure, you can tell me what happens, but, like, I can, I'll figure out how the bathroom works if it's important, you know? If, you, if it's important that I, I know that, like, I should be able to just learn how it works through actions, right? Mm-hmm. But he does a lot of explaining. The bathroom. Uh, I thought of this because uh, I mentioned that they they travel from the moon base to Tycho Crater, and they travel in one of those cars. And do you remember him describing the wheels on these cars? Mm-hmm. It was like this big invention that he had thought of, right? Essentially, and and I think it was a false a false like that didn't come true. And there was a couple other things mm-hmm. that didn't come true too. A couple other things that did come true, however. Uh, and anyway, it just felt like a lot of this chapter and a, and a cu- few times after this chapter was just an expose on science. I could see that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was kind of like trying to teach the world or put these ideas forth about science. And it wasn't really like a, it wasn't really telling a story. It was just explaining how things work in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But see, that's actually what I, one of the things I like in I don't like when when authors necessarily over-explain things either if I don't think they're necessary. But when it comes to science fiction, and particularly older science fiction, I do enjoy it because I like seeing their reasoning as to, like, this is how it would work. Yeah. You know, like when he starts talking about like the Velcro and stuff, like, I would have yeah, never yeah. thought about that. <laughs> and we would never use Velcro now, right? Like, it, now when we picture, it'd be like, no, just magnetic boots. Boom. <laughs> and they're <laughs> <Yeah>. like, Velcro. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I hear you. And I, and I, I guess I, I like that in, like, kind of cheesy old books. You know what I mean? But this book isn't, mm-hmm. like, a cheesy old book to me. And, and I'm not no. saying you have to feel the same way about that. But um, I do agree with you to a point where if, if it's not a, a story that I care about and that I think is, like, really epic in scope, like, if it's just a silly 
sci-fi, I don't mind them like explaining what they thought the future might hold. You know, I don't know. Yeah. That's just me. <laughs> no, I mean, I like it though because the same thing's true. For example, with iRobot, I don't know if you've ever read iRobot, but um, uh, no, I Isaac Asimov. Really? Oh, oh. Chris, uh, there are a couple episodes in science fiction shorts uh, where we talk about Isaac Asimov books, but they're yes. not the iRobot. They're short stories, aren't they? Um, yes, Isn't but like they're a book also, of- they're prequel. They are a prequel to the books that you've read, like The Cave okay. of Steel, etc. iRobot's okay. the first in the robot series, which is four books long. Ends with Rising, the, the Rising Sun. I forget the title, but... Um, even in the ones that you've read, though... The, me- the robots are made of, like, iron and things like that. And it's like, we would never make a robot out of metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I find it really interesting the way that, you know, at that timeline, there's no way they could know the technology that would come into play. They're, like, plastic wasn't even a thing then. So how could he possibly know that that would intervene and create a different way to make robots? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so I find that really interesting. So for me, it doesn't bother me when they're doing that type of descriptive. If it's an old enough book... And this book okay. actually took place before we'd landed on the moon in the in our world. And so it's interesting to, to see how he's like, we're past the moon, we're going to Saturn. Well, <laughs> so. Okay, and, and we don't have to like beat the point, but like I think I think we're agreeing on that point. I think when I said silliness or something like that, mm-hmm. I think I mean older science fiction. Because older science fiction is kind of silly. You know what I mean? These like days, like yeah. I'm thinking like kind of space opera-y kind of like silliness i don't know i see what you're saying and again we don't have to agree perfectly on that that, that's that's perfectly fine but um i think we're kind of aligned on that (laughs) yeah now here's the thing uh in this tma chapter i i did love like the last chapter the last chapter or two when they actually Mm -hmm. get to the to the magnetic anomaly and you know they take Mm -hmm. the picture and then the the sound goes out like that right there kind of is the big idea in the book and and i love it the fact that aliens kind of pushed our our previous species you know to to go in this direction Mm -hmm. three million years later they want to know if we've advanced yeah so what do they do right they they bury this thing on the moon you got to be able to uh fly in space to get to the moon right Mm -hmm. you have to know about magnetism um they bury that. There's, they make this magnetic anomaly, which there's no reason for being a magnetic anomaly there. We dig something up, and then it's light activated, this yep. this monolith that sends out a signal. Like, okay, well, they've arrived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was really. I thought that was a really cool thing. And I also really enjoyed, for me, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if enjoyed it, because we didn't explore it very much. But it was interesting to hear this kind of collaborative idea of nations and that, yeah, on the moon, we all work together, we're fine, we're not really worried about the problems of the nations. On the planet, however, it seemed like the major powers were okay with each other, like Russia and America were okay with each other because they were looking towards space, uh-huh. which was, I was like, yeah, that would never happen. But the, the nations that were less space mobile were the ones causing all the trouble on the planet because they were they were okay. too busy fighting over what was there. And I thought that was... It was interesting to see that kind of idea of, look, when we get into space, we all need to survive, we all need to do what we need to do, and so we're not even worried about that other stuff. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And it's and it kind of started to address also the, the gravity difference. I don't know if you're familiar with the novels The Expanse. Um, oh, totally. Um, I've read uh, 
I'm looking at them right now. One, two, three, four. I've got four on the bookshelf back there. <laughs> well, that one does a great job, too, of talking about this idea. Like, yeah, if you go to other planets, you're going to have different gravity. And so generations pass and bodies are different. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. The, I never... The, the, what are they called? The... Um... The, the belters. The belters. There you go. The belters are like mm-hmm. longer and thinner, right? Mm-hmm. Well, They're even Mars, though. Out because... Yeah, it's right. Because the gravity is different. It's very light. Yeah. But even on Mars, there was much lighter. And it's funny because I've never thought of Earth as like the heavyweight in the cosmos. Mm-hmm. But compared to a lot of the planets that we could actually get to and habitate, potentially, the gravity here is more intense. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. And the moon is one of those examples, right? The moon has less gravity than we do. And so... They talk about that professor's or that scientist's child who's growing up on the moon. Mm-hmm. Her going back to Earth will be a very different experience for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, would Venus? Because I know Venus is similar in mass to Earth, but mm-hmm. the fact that its atmosphere is so dense, I think, does that make you weigh more on Venus, or does that just crush you, but you weigh the same? I don't know. I know that the density of its yeah. atmosphere makes it hotter. Like, unbelievably hot, because it's like greenhouse gas. It's the greenhouse effect gone nuts. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it crushes but, you, too. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the weight of the atmosphere crushes you. It would not surprise me. The pressure at... Yeah. Yeah, the, the pressure at um, at ground level is much is much heavier. Anyway, mm-hmm. next, next chapter, if you don't mind moving on, next part. Roll on. Uh, what was it called? It's called Between Planets called between planets was there anything else you wanted to talk about in uh, tma1 no i mean tma1 was interesting but it wasn't a super long section really either it was kind of it was just moving us to the next points to be honest i think yeah and you know what's great uh so for these for these three parts the main characters are completely different that's true right we got moon watcher haywood if that's his name and uh, and then we have basically Bowman and um, Pool. Pool is that his name? Pool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's interesting. Um, it really is. It, it, the title of the book kind of really is a, a, a good title because it, it it really takes you. I mean, ra- we've already traveled three million years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And in and now we're traveling. And finally, in this third part, we're traveling in in space instead of time. Uh, and um which some would say is the same thing but mm-hmm. yeah well i mean we are traveling in time as well but just slower <laughs> <laughs> or we don't we don't cover as much time yeah. i'll put it that way yeah <laughs> um so this is where we kind of we kind of see like life on uh ooh, what was the name of the of the ship do you remember oh. the name of the ship discovery yes I think you're right. It was Discovery. Discovery. Yeah. 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 I remember Hal, of course, uh, but the name of the ship escapes. Yeah. Do you, hey, do you remember what Hal stands for? Oh, my gosh. This is like a <laughs> trivia question. This is, this, you got to... I don't... I, okay. I, I believe it's heuristic... Ana, is it animatronic? No, it's not animatronic. I think heuristic is correct. Algorithm? Heuristic, algorithmic... Something? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I could cheat, you right? Would, I could look it up. And say, yeah. yeah. That really is like a, a trivia question that you should know, <laughs> that all of us should know. Anyway, um, 
again, more science expose, I think, in, in, in this chapter, kind of explaining how he thinks things will work. And actually, this is where uh, the iPad is, like, predicted. Do you remember that chapter on the news pad? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> actually, oh, wait, you know what? I just realized, actually, that actually might have been the previous chapter. Haywood might have actually been looking at. By the way, but I do in 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 the movie. I know that it's um it's it's Bowman. I remember he like mm-hmm. he picks up this tablet in the movie. Yeah, and uh, and he's like you know reading whatever. By the way, how there's no way that you will get the acronym HAL if you're looking for literal things because it's heuristically programmed algorithmic computer. So the H is from heuristically. And the AL is from algorithmic. So there's two oh. words that aren't even in the acronym, which is, I think, okay, cheating, okay, but okay. that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you for looking that up. Heuristically programmed algorithmic computer. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if I can remember that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a tough one. I'll be honest, Chris. I don't think there's much to talk really about about this chapter Mm. they're just traveling i mean they shoot off some probes when they round jupiter right but i mean not much else happens yeah this isn't when they experience the problems right that's in the next no that's the very next one called abyss yeah that's the one (laughs) that's where it gets interesting that is exactly where it gets interesting um yeah i i that again this chapter is another dip in my enjoyment over time and then it goes up and i'm gonna be on like from abyss onward the last three books five all the way across interesting Um, okay yeah it it never let me down from there um hey uh real quick by the way remember Mm -hmm. last time we started the podcast out talking about um what's that rover that we sent to mars yes not curiosity which what is it in- ingenuity or is it i think it might be ingenuity i can't recall but you're going to talk about the helicopter aren't you yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i actually so i actually put a uh, a calendar in my calendar day today to to check it out i was so freaking busy at work i completely forgot about it. i have no idea if they if it even flew it did. did it fly yeah, it flew. It flew oh, yesterday. Great. It flew yesterday cuz i saw the announcement and i thought about our meeting or maybe it was the day before no, but yeah no, it no, flew no. a couple days ago no way. I'm no, telling no, 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 you, no, no, I no. saw the news about this a couple... Because I remember thinking at the time, I'm going to have to bring this up, and then you brought it up. But that's fine. The point oh, is... Oh, mm, I still don't believe you. Hold on. Ingenuity. I, I'm sorry. I have to look this up. When I, it was scheduled drones, for today. Hold on. Fly on Mars. Lift it off at 1234... And it doesn't have a date, but this was written April 19th today. I'm telling you, it flew today. So, let's see. Chris, Chris, it was it was postponed. It was scheduled to fly oh, yeah. a couple days ago, and they postponed mm. it. And today, they uh, they, they lifted off. Well, then. Bra- breaking news, everyone, but you're not going to hear this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about breaking, breaking news on a podcast, never good unless you publish it, like, right away. <laughs> going to be old news for everyone when they hear it's true (laughs) well uh back to the abyss when things actually start picking up again chris Mm -hmm. so this is the the this is where a small mishap 
happens with the oh, i wish i knew the ae the ae35 did i get that right i think so <laughs> the ae35 unit <laughs> apart outside the ship <laughs> apart outside the ship uh which is used to point the antenna directly at earth mm-hmm. because they're like tight beaming it i think they use that word in uh the expanse series tight beam yep um they're not radiating uh radio waves they're 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 shooting like a beam of them. So they got to point directly at earth. And this, this darn AE 35 unit goes bad, says Hal, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting. I, I didn't realize, and it, I should have known it because they said it. He, he explicitly says that Hal is the only one who knows the true purpose of the mission. Mm-hmm. At least, at least for the people that are awake right now, right? Correct. Um, yeah, the ones who were sleeping knew the whole purpose. Yeah, yeah. But because Bowman and Poole were going to be the media people, right, talking to the media and everything, mm-hmm. they were kept quiet. This this part is um, it's so good because you're dealing with a robot who believes himself infallible, right? He's like, look at the record. I've never been wrong. And just imagine that you're, you're in a ship controlled, essentially. I mean, you can override him if he doesn't override you first, right? Yeah. (laughs) Override your life. Uh, You're in a ship basically controlled by this thing that can't really be argued with, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that makes this otherwise kind of mundane thing that goes wrong so much more um, tense. It's yeah. like the, the dialogue. I love the dialogue. I kind of relate the dialogue to um, Tolkien's dialogue of of Smaug mm. in The Hobbit. Oh, yeah. It's so like... I just, yeah, I just love reading it. it it's, they're, you know, they're, they're not the same. Smaug is not the same as Hal, but like... Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The dialogue well, just kind of hits me well, the they're, same. Well, they're similar in that if the dialogue goes wrong, you're going to die. I mean, that's very <laughs> clear, right? Yeah. Like, if, if you say the wrong word, Smaug will just eat you and be like, we're done. Yeah. It was You amused me for a while. You've run out of value. Same thing with Hal. If you push him to the point where he feels threatened and we see that, he's like, mm-hmm. don't worry. I have, He'll be very polite and be like, I have a solution, Dave. Don't worry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, the air's getting a little thin in here. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know what's interesting is I don't... His malfunction and the source of it is what I find interesting, right? It's He had a fundamental disagreement with who he viewed himself as. Because they said, they said, look, for all intents and purposes, Hal is a person. Like, his mind works the same way humans works. Just a he, lot more Yeah, complex. he learned... He wasn't con- he wasn't programmed everything he knows he learned he learned yeah. it right somehow like yeah and so they said as far as it's concerned he's a person that you're talking to and so mm-hmm. it's interesting because it begs the question are humans like this right because humans have dichotomies in their minds all the time you know they can you can believe one thing and do another and somehow like function with it for a long time but uh-huh. um, how apparently does not have that capability right that seems to be the limit because. He's got this secret, and he's supposed to be honest. He sees himself as an honest, I tell the truth, I do what needs to be done, I'm correct. But fundamentally, if I'm not telling them this, isn't this incorrect, and then I'm not honest, and it's just, 
that kind of back and forth is what really caused him to to wig out to a certain extent, I think. Yeah, but but it's interesting, Chris. You say like humans can cope with it and live with it for a long time, but it's not like his circuits fried, right? No. I mean, the his, way he I mean, he just he just decided to murder someone. Well, and I, I mean, don't think that well, the, remember humans though, can Bowman, do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But Bowman talked about that. He said the reason he decided to do that, and they talked about it with Hal, right? Once they said shut him off, he'd never been shut off before. Uh-huh. So to his experience, he's like, they're going to kill me. Yeah. And so he said he didn't think he killed Poole on purpose. He thought he probably just was trying to cover up that he had hidden this situation, and it went further than he thought. Yeah, yeah. But then once he said, I'm going to shut you down, he's like, okay, now I have to stop you from killing me. Uh-huh. Um, because the mission, the because because he didn't think the mission the mission could continue without him, basically, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And if the mission can't be completed, well, he has to do whatever it takes to complete the mission. True. Well, and I think fundamentally um, the disagree the what I think, and this does happen in humanity. We see this in people. Um, while we can maintain it for a long time, over time, that type of fundamental dichotomy, right? If you're just like fundamentally feeling like. I am one way and yet I'm acting another, it pulls you apart. And you see mm-hmm. that in people's yeah. lives all the time. And they'll tell you later, like usually if someone's if someone survives it and then they talk about how their life came crashing down. I mean, we see, for example, Tiger Woods makes me think of that actually, right? Like Tiger Woods had this image of who he was and everyone thought he was. Then all those affairs came out and like for a long time his game was detrimentally affected, although you would think wreck. it wouldn't yeah. be. But he was shaken because I think who he who he presented himself as and who he actually was they came to a head. And I think we see mm-hmm. that to a certain extent with Hal on a more subtle experience. Obviously, Hal wasn't like sleeping with porn stars and strippers, but, well, maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Hal's doing I wonder own. how good a golfer Hal is. <laughs> Who knows, man? <laughs> so, Hal is Tiger um, Woods. That's the moral of the story. That's what we've learned today. Yeah, exactly. That's the moral of the story. Um, Chris, I'm going to be honest. I, I didn't fully understand the reason for Hal's psychosis, but I wrote down the line... Haywood's explanation. He said, program, program conflicts coupled with guilt. So, so can we work through that real quick? Sure. The, the program conflicts, what was the conflict? Well, he's one, he's programmed to, to, he was given two kind of interesting things, right? As a general rule, he's programmed to be honest and open with his, his, his teammates, but they program him also to keep that uh, secret from them. Uh, so, okay, okay. And so every day okay. it's compounding. He's lying to them. He's so lying then wait to a them. minute. Okay, but wait a minute. Tell me why? Why break the AE thirty five unit? Why did he do that? What caused that? What was the impetus? I don't think he did break the AE thirty five unit. I think he claimed it was broken. Because he wanted to interfere with communication with Earth. Because Earth could step in and override him, do a bunch of other things. Once it began but, to spiral... But why? Why did he need to... Why did he need... Okay, if he didn't break it, that's fine. Why did he say it was broken? Why did he feel he needed to do that? So, recall, Earth had also sent the messages saying, Hey, Hal's got a problem. And he's smart enough to understand that when they say Hal has a problem, that means one of the ones on the... Sh- one of the one of the 9,000 units on Earth, in theory, might take over the control. In fact, that's what they wanted to do. That's why they wanted Hal out of the way. So I think Hal became okay. defensive when that came up. Okay, so you're saying there actually was a problem with the first AE-35 unit? Probably. Or, or, or no, or there wasn't, but he mis he misdiagnosed it? 
Yes, and I think that's part of what caused them to see there's something wrong here. How this should oh, he shouldn't okay. have made that mistake. That was their evidence okay. that he's having some psychosis. Okay, that because yeah, the other the other two howls on Earth said that there was no problem with it. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep, I think so. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. So that starts to make sense. So he makes a mistake. Um, they threaten to replace him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he. He tries to break communication with Earth because he yep. thinks in order for the mission to go on, he has to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so and now then, he's lying. Yep. And then Bowman threatens to shut him down, which to him is death. And so he's like, oh, so you're going to kill me now. So it gets worse and worse and worse. Okay. Program conflicts coupled with guilt. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think my misunderstanding was I thought there, I thought he correct. I thought he was lying about the AE-35 unit, but he, he just misdiagnosed it. I, yeah, I think, I think what, so. Is what we're saying. Okay. Yeah, wow. What a chapter. I, I just love that chapter. I mean, it gets so tense, you know, when mm-hmm. uh, Pool dies. Y- you know what uh, I realized? I actually, um, gonna, I'm going to show you something real quick. This is my work computer, and I have a sticker on it. <laughs> Open the pod bay doors, Hal. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, they don't actually say that in the book. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. That's a, that's a strictly a movie quote. It's a good mm-hmm. one, but uh, not from the book. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So, oh, uh, there's one thing I wanted to mention. Um, I, think it, I think I can call this like a literary device that Clark uses, you know, I don't know. I'm sure he's not the only one to do this, but I have two instances of him doing this. And I want to know what you think about it. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, the spasm of hope and fear passed instantly. A cold logic replaced emotion. The still accelerating pod was merely shaking the burden that it dragged behind it. Poole's gesture was an echo of captain Ahab's when lashed to the flanks of the white whale, his corpse had beckoned the crew of the Pequod onto their doom. I remember okay. that quote very yeah. clearly. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you think of it? It was powerfully written. I thought it was really good. And it's, I mean, anytime you, anytime you reference Ahab is always interesting. Um, <laughs> Moby Dick, right? Yep. That's correct. Are you not familiar okay. with Moby Dick? And Ahab? I have the book. I bought it years ago, planned on reading it, just never got around to it. I have read actually the first chapter and I loved it. And that's why I bought the book. Uh, but mm-hmm. I have I haven't actually read it. So call me Ishmael, and he goes to tell you the story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember yeah. the first chapter being a lot about food. It was kind of like funny because um, yeah. he was talking about food a lot, and I didn't expect that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean that's it's 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 an inter- but I mean Ahab is is a literary symbol for um, usually for overstroked um, obsession. Um, okay. Because he's the one who gave the the famous statement, "From the gates of hell I stab at thee." Because that's what he was. <laughs> See, I, I am unfamiliar with that, but oh, wow, anyway, e- even without having read Moby Dick, it did hit me in a good way. Like I like that, and it made me remind remind it reminded me of this this other book I have by Arthur C. Clarke. It's called The City and the Stars. Mm-hmm. Have you read this one? I'm not familiar with that one. No, it's a pretty good one. Um, uh, it's a very early Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, and actually, it's interesting. This book was originally published by some other name, and he's actually kind of rewritten it a couple times, I think, to improve it. 
And this is like the, the latest edition. Uh, anyway, I will read a line out of it. It won't be a spoiler at all. It says at the end of, of that was the end of, cha- of a chapter in, that I just read in the Space Odyssey. And this is the end of chapter 14. He says, um, once more, he was at peace as ages ago an earlier wanderer had been when, lashed to the mast of his ship, he had heard the song of the sirens die away across the wine-dark sea. That's the, that's the Odyssey. That's exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so in this book, The City and the Stars, he pulls out a little uh, Odyssey um, yeah. reference. That's going way back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it's great. I, I think, uh, would you call that a literary device? I don't know. Maybe I'm mischaracterizing it. But Yes. I don't know what, what to call it, but yes, I would. Uh-huh. I, uh, yeah, I can't give more than two examples, but, you know, I, I just wonder if I keep reading uh, <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke, if I'll come across more. I'm sure you will. I mean, I'm, I know that's been used before, right? Harkening back to other classic literature. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, where are we at, Chris? We're, um, We've just passed Abyss. We're moving into the next section. Yep. Uh, what what what's after abyss? I, I love these chapter names. They're just let's see. It's called yeah. the moons of Saturn. Okay. Basically, at this point, at th- okay, okay. Here's what here's here's what I like. Um, and you know what? We're already at like 50 minutes. Maybe we should kind of like <laughs> go a little quick. But uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, here's what I like about um, the moons of Saturn. There's two chapters in it, which are not narrative. They're straight up. It, I think it's called like on the topic of, of ETs mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And then there's another chapter. I think it might be the next chapter. Um, and it's just another chapter on like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't remember exactly what it's about, but um, it's essentially a break from the story. And he just kind of goes on these interesting ideas Mm-hmm. I think the other chapter is is actually explaining what um, the aliens in this book actually are. That's right? correct. Yeah, that one was cool. I really like that chapter, actually. Yeah. So, uh, why don't do you want to explain like what uh, what these aliens are? Yeah, and what I really liked about it was it referenced because by now um, Bowman has been told the truth, right? Earth has said so. Uh-huh. By the way, there are aliens out there. Not sure. Um, what to expect, but you're about to find out. And so, um, <laughs> but it's interesting because they talked, to, they began to conject and think, well, you know, it reminds me of when they were on the moon talking about the, well, yeah, surely they'd be human, they'd be these other things. And, um, because that's how intelligent life evolves. And the first thing this chapter does is disabuse you of that. It says, yes, they were intelligent, <laughs> but they were certainly not human. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and, ha- and basically, they begin traveling the universe, looking for life and information, and then they begin to experiment and seed planets where they see life potential, and basically set up an ability for them to eventually become something like them. And at at one point in their evolution, they abandon their bodies for machines, exactly. so that way they can yep. live lo- live infinitely longer. And then eventually they mm-hmm. abandon the machines as well and enter almost another dimension, like a dimension of thought, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And they can traverse the universe in that way, which to me makes me wonder why they would need the alarm system. But, um, okay, I can explain this. I can okay. explain this. So, 
three million years ago, mm-hmm. when it was when it was set up, the TMA one on the moon, they were still machine people with brains or minds. He, ex- he they explicitly say that they say event when when uh, when they um that's right because they when refer they back crossed, to their ancestors' experiments. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. When when they dropped the obelisk on Earth, they were uh, they had already left their bodies. They they were machines, but they still they still had physical bodies, right? They weren't yeah. mind people yet. So so I guess you know they um, at that point they felt that it was necessary. They couldn't travel instantaneously from one thing to the next, right? They traveled. They were the ships themselves, right? It's like yep. the, the ship was their body essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is crazy. Well, I think that's when they transcend the once they leave the mach- the idea of a physical body at all, they no longer need a vessel. And so they Correct. are in fact their vessel, yeah. Yes. Um and I I, I you know, I think we're kind of we got to kind of move along, but um that True. brings me to the so then he enters the the what's not obelisk. I always think obelisk, monolith. <laughs> he yeah. enters the mon- the monolith on um what was it? Um, Mim- uh, not Mimas. It's one of the moons of Saturn. I don't remember the name of it, though. Iapetus. And, it, and it's spelt with a J in the book, like Japetus. But it's... Oh, interesting. Today, nowadays, we call it Iapetus. Uh, and, and, and he goes through this, um, this wormhole, and there's all these derelict spaceships, right? Yep. And he, I think he even calls it like a parking garage or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure... That's because three million years ago, right? They were still bodies, you know, machines anyway, but now mm-hmm. they're not. And so now that's why it's derelict. Exactly. I think this yeah. is what he, what you see are the debris of the ships they'd left behind. Exactly. Um, yeah. Because it, it's almost like, it's almost like a, um, an Einstein Rosen bridge, right? He goes through like this whoo, wormhole thing. And next thing you know, he's among all these ships, but he is nowhere near Saturn at this point. He's making his yeah. way through someplace completely different for and foreign to us. Yeah, there's like a like a binary star mm-hmm. or something, right? Yeah. Okay, and and um, I, I I you know there, I think there was a little bit more um, expose of science in this chapter where he was just like, and now I'm going to describe a, a red giant, and now I'm going to mm-hmm. describe a binary star system. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But it was so you know, weird and like magical that I, I, I still did really enjoy these chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually we get to the scene, which just freaks everybody out in the movie. right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so weird in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, it's explained obviously a lot better in, in the book, what's going on. 100%. Um, like, I don't think, yeah, th- there's never any mention of the blue substance, right? Um, the blue nope. edible substance um there was there was one there was one line that i loved uh because there was beer in the fridge right beer cans in the fridge mm-hmm. and the line is like to his to his disappointment it wasn't actually beer yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like he wasn't gonna stuff. yeah he wasn't gonna starve or go thirsty but unfortunately his fridge is not filled with beer yeah he's like look after the trip i've had i could use a beer <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, so so everything, everything was what was it like? Everything that was referenced was about three years old, isn't mm-hmm. that right? Yeah, because I and think it was based wh- on radio waves or, or television yeah, broadcasts. Because, 
Basically, they 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 but they cracked open the monolith on the moon three years ago. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the idea? Yes. Yeah, it took them three years to get out there. So, um, and so it's almost and, like it took a snapshot of everything that was going on at that time, and they used that to create their imagery. Exactly. Exactly. There's there's no. Um, there's no, although I don't know if I'm supposed to interpret this in the movie as physical, but there's no doppelganger Bowman. There's no old man Bowman, right? No. That kind of no. looks at himself. Yeah, this one the movie just starts I, going. Again, I don't know if that's if I'm supposed to interpret that as like an actual physical two people in the movie or if, it, if he's just like seeing himself in well, his mind in the or book, something. It talks know. about how he kept being born and reborn. Like when one Bowman died, another Bowman was born. And so it does talk about that in the book, this idea oh. of the one go from him going from the Bowman that we know to this new being Bowman. So there is a okay. there is that kind of transition happening. So maybe that's what it was trying to represent. Okay, okay. Yeah. So just one thing that I, I, I feel I need to say about these these very, very invasive aliens. Um I, I find it interesting, right? So, like, first they show up to Earth, and they tinker with the ape men. Then they yeah. let, then they like come on out to Saturn. I got something for you. And then they like turn Bowman into. Now, to be fair, Bowman will die without their help, but largely because they put him through a wormhole and send him to another part yeah. of the universe. And so then they like force engineer him into. It's like, what if I don't want to be a star being? What if I'm completely content? <laughs> it's like not an option. You came out here. You're getting what you get. So. Yeah, there's definitely well, but you know what? Um, Bowman wouldn't even ex- existed really, at least in that in the way he existed if they that's, if they didn't give Apeman a nudge, you know. That's true. That's right because they is, were on the verge of extinction. Yeah, I mean, it is a very moral question, you know, that like <laughs> really there's no right answer to. Uh, no. No. I don't think, but. But yeah, they definitely do tinker with some things that right now, like nowadays, we kind of think like, eh, is that right? Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Well, like, and I don't have a problem necessarily with them tinkering with, like, I, it's not like Star Trek and the Prime Directive. I'm not worried about the the fact that they sparked intelligence on the planet. Okay. My thought is, though, once you have conscious intelligence, for you to be like, you know what, we're going to re-engineer you. Like, I'm aware that you're re-engineering me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> You know. Okay, so it's not it's not so bad that we breed dogs because they don't know any better, right? But uh, <laughs> they don't seem to be they seem to be fairly cooperative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe in the future, uh, breeding dogs will be a no no. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know we do know there's a lot of kind of negatives to that, right? Um, and so there, there's always going to be the moral question implication. But in this case, they weren't even necessarily breeding them, right? They literally just said, look. These folks have the potential to be smarter. Let's see if we can't imprint this and see where they go with it. Then they li- left them alone for three million years. Dude, you know what? Um, okay, so any final thoughts uh, on the book? Yes, I've got some. I've got some trivia for you. Just some final trivia, which is really interesting. So, in the forward, Arthur C. Clarke said some things which I found really interesting. The book and the movie were written at the same time. He actually worked with mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick. And the book was written for the movie. It wasn't the other way around. Yeah, the um, movie came out, uh, I think, a few months before, right? Yep. But he yeah. approached him and said, look, I'm doing this movie. I want you to write the book for it and help me. And, which I thought was really interesting. That's like, wow, you weren't even going to write this story until he came to you and said, this is what we're going to do. Well, but did you read that this story is based on an earlier short story that Arthur uh, C. Clarke wrote? I did, Yes. 
Yes, he took okay. that and just kind of really expanded it. Um, yeah, obviously. Exactly. <laughs> um, the Sentinel is what it's called. Yes. The other thing that was interesting, he said that when they landed on the moon, one of the astronauts said they were tempted when they first approached it to say, uh, NASA, we've encountered a black obelisk <laughs> or monolith. <laughs> like they were tempted to say that line from the movie. Oh, oh you're saying like Neil Armstrong and, uh-huh. and when Buzz they first Aldrin. approached the moon, because oh. you know, we'd never been there. They were tempted to say, like, okay. we've discovered a tall black obelisk. <laughs> they didn't, obviously. Oh, man. You know what? It's it's best they didn't, to be yeah. honest. Like, it's like, this is not a time for jokes. This is history. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because it was uh, written just, I think, a year. A year before. Um, we landed in 69, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I believe this book was written in 68, published in yep. 68. So that's a little interesting trivia there for you um, <laughs> about the book. But, Okay. All right, let's wrap it up. Um, review the podcast, everyone. If you listen to this, leave a leave a review. And if you do, see, I'm going to regret saying this, but maybe I'll read the review on the next episode. I'm going to regret saying this because if no one leaves a review, <laughs> I won't have anything to say. <laughs> but you should you should leave a review in uh, in in your podcast app, and you can tweet at me at Wet Josh if you'd like. Chris, I don't know if you uh, want to be put out there. I can cut this out if, if you don't. No, sure. Um, I mean, I don't know what people would tweet at me, but they, they're welcome to tweet at me. It's <laughs> at voice underscore of underscore Martin. So at voice of Martin with underscores to separate the words. I mean, maybe they're going to disagree with you with their thoughts about Hal or something, you know? I mean, yeah, sure. They can be wrong if they want. That's their business. <laughs> 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 all right uh my dog is heavy breathing over here that means he uh wants to get out of this room which i've locked him in so um <laughs> we're gonna wrap it up all right my friend it's been fun <laughs>